Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would be in our midst and that he would speak to us uh, through your word. Lord, give us perspective on uh, what is important uh, and what is not, uh, what to get wound up about and what to lay aside. Uh, We pray that you would do this uh, by his power. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is Acts chapter 20. I I think I've written this class three or four times in the past couple weeks, and in each time I've just kind of shredded it. Uh, So uh, let's see what the Lord does this morning. Uh, And we're looking at uh, Acts 20, beginning with the 17th verse. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. That's Paul. And when they came to Paul, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things and draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities, to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'll keep going. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And then Paul goes to Jerusalem. <clears throat> I was thinking back on opportunities for last words. Uh, very few of us have been given that opportunity. Uh, we don't have the foresight to know what's going to happen. Uh, but what would we say to those that we love if we knew this was it? Now, this is more than just, I mean, I think back on um, my days at camp 
uh, when uh, you'd fall in love with uh, one of the cute girls' counselors, uh, and then on the last day of camp, you'd be in tears, and you'd sing Michael W. Smith, Friends are Friends Forever, and, uh, and then you'd say, you know, I, I hope I get to see you again. And you do formulate in your mind, what am I going to say to this girl to wow her over in order that uh, she might fall desperately in love with me and become the mother of my children. It actually worked with Lauren and I, so there you go. I'm just kidding. It, it did not go down that way at all. In fact, Lauren, Lauren didn't like me when she first met me, but now she loves me. Uh, but uh, more than that, but I mean, if you've been given a diagnosis of cancer, because what Paul's talking about is he's not saying, well, I hope I get to see you again, but I'm going to Jerusalem, and hopefully at some point I'll be able to come back. I mean, that alone, theoretically, He's probably not going to see them again because he is going off and he may not come back that way again. Uh, but he says it, he alludes to it here that I, I may die. And that's why I'm saying you will never see my face again. And to be given that opportunity to know that these are the very last words that I will speak uh, to a group of people that are actually closer to Paul than his own family. Uh, really his brothers and his sisters, uh, and those whom he has invested in, those whose he's helped uh, lead to the Lord, that he's sunk his life in the past three years, uh, and he has this opportunity to say something. You know, I, I, um, I, I hear about people, and every once in a while they'll share with me, uh, especially uh, folks who have um, uh, been diagnosed with an incurable disease at a young age, and uh, they have a wife, they have children, and um, the, I've seen people make videos, I've seen people write letters, uh, I've seen uh, uh, all kinds of, of ways to, uh, to say, this is what I want you to hear and, and know uh, before I leave. And that's a very rare opportunity because death for most of us comes like a thief in the night. He just does. And let me just as an aside uh, say this. I, there's this crazy idea in the church that death is just this natural progression in the cycle of life. And uh, I don't know how strong I can say this, but according to the Bible, uh, death is a bastard. I mean, death is the enemy. Right? Death is not something that God had intended for any of us. And that's why He comes amongst us in order to rescue us. Right? This is why Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus, because this is not how it's supposed to be. And yet He's come to make all things new. And so uh, where we ought not to fear death and that it has no grip, it has no authority, it has no power over us, and that we will be with the Lord Jesus when we die, uh, at the same time, death is no friend to us. He's just not. And, uh, and so I, when, I think I've mentioned this before in the class uh, I, I even don't like using the word death or I'm sorry that your loved one died because it sounds so harsh because it is. But uh, I like using softer phrases like passed away. And, uh, and I found out that, um, do you know who coined the phrase passed away? Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian science. <laughs> so not a Christian. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I've... I've Expunge that from my vocabulary uh, and don't say passed away anymore. Uh, but in light of the fact that Paul and everybody else around him is saying, you know, if you go to Jerusalem, you're, you're probably going 
to die. Now, of course, Paul would have, he wouldn't die in Jerusalem. He, he would end up dying in Rome at the hands of the emperor. Well, the emperor didn't kill him, but he was in the emperor's jail when he died. <clears throat> uh, and yet, given this opportunity, and Paul lays out some things that I don't think are just things that a pastor would want to say uh, to his congregation, although there are things, but I think these are things that we would want to be able to say to our husbands, our wives, our friends, our children, uh, if we were given the opportunity. So let's look at Acts chapter 20 with some really, really wonderful uh, last words, not rooted in Paul, but rooted in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> well, first he sends for them, and they come, uh, the elders uh, from Ephesus, and they gather, and Paul begins to speak to them, I lived among you, I had a relationship with you from the first day that I set foot in Asia, and I struggled, he uses this phrase a couple times, with humility and tears, this idea of tears with trials that happened to me through the plots uh, of the Jews. That is, earlier, if you've been in these classes, uh, what was happening in the synagogue there uh, in Ephesus uh, and the uproar that happened in the city. But uh, that Paul's ministry was one that was rooted in tears and real feeling. Why? Because his calling was never apart from people. Everything he did was rooted in relationship. Initially, of course, and always rooted in a relationship with the Lord Jesus, but moreover, a relationship with other people. Uh, I, I've been traveling a lot, and I mentioned this last week, but uh, I don't like preaching in other churches because when I look out, I, I don't know who these people are, and, and, I, just, uh, and I can't help but judge them. And, uh, and I'll tell you a true story. Uh, I was preaching at a church one time, and this guy was about halfway back and you could just see it happening. All of a sudden, his head would go back. And then he'd go, and he'd catch himself. And it was just so, but nobody batted an eye. Nobody wanted to make eye contact with this guy. And I'm sitting there while I'm preaching. I actually am thinking about multiple things while I'm preaching. And sometimes I will say, oh, there's so-and-so. I need to follow up with them. Uh, but um, I'm sitting up there preaching. And I'm, I can't help but think about this guy. And I'm thinking about here's a guy who has no respect uh, for the authority of the Word of God and no respect for me uh, as the preacher. And uh, he was, uh, and so I started preaching right at him. <laughs> and he still kept falling. Everyone's, nah, and uh, which just uh, made me more desperate. Uh, and then afterwards in the uh, parish hall, we're there and we're talking. And this guy comes up to me and he says, I just want you to know that I loved your sermon. It was great. And he said, admittedly, only what I was able to hear because I actually have narcolepsy and I can't help. And all of a sudden I was like, Andrew, you're an idiot. Right? A, a, total, a total jerk that, uh, you know, not giving people benefit of the doubt. You know, uh, when I'm driving... Uh, when I'm driving down the road at a million miles an hour, and some of you have gotten into the habit of texting me when you see me do things in traffic. Um, uh, just this, uh, this is, uh, let me just share with you a little bit of what I've gotten this week. And um, where is it? Um, it says, um, oh, I can't find it. It was, there it is. Uh, here it is. Uh, this person said, some jack, fill in the blank, in a Mercedes wagon with a Virginia decal just pulled out in front of me on Old Leeds Road. Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, 
Uh, now, we get mad when people do that to us, but when we do it, we, you know, when we see, when we're driving like nuts, there's a reason why we're, do- there's an excuse, there's, there's validation to why we're doing that. And, and yet, uh, I actually like getting little texts like that uh, because it is an indicator that I actually have relationships with people and I'm not just preaching at them, we're actually doing something together and we're in the ministry together. And in the same way, uh, as, as a pastor, I get to be a part of the most intimate moments in people's lives. And so uh, when uh, a baby is born, I I try to be, I can't get to everything. Um, I try to get to as many births and deaths as I possibly can. Uh, But to be there uh, for the birth of a child or the death of a friend, uh, and you look around the room and you realize you're the only one who's not related. Everyone else in the room is related except for you, and yet it's right uh, for me to be there. And um, although I am reminded of the story of Joe Warren, who was told that there was a woman giving birth at St. Vincent's, and so uh, Joe knocked on the door and there was no answer. Joe used to do pastoral care here, a really lovely, wonderful, faithful man, and um, no answer. So Joe came in, and actually the woman had not given birth. She was in labor. Uh, and so everyone's there, and all of a sudden the nurse sees Joe Warren in the collar and starts yelling, get out, get out, get out, and the, the, the mom is yelling, who is it, who is it, and why are they in here? And the nurse says, it's some priest. And on the way out, Joe Warren said, just tell her John Harper stopped by. <laughs> um, well, uh, Joe is very quick on his feet like that. Uh, but... You know, you get in, you know, I, I'm, I'm a young man, uh, but if you're any place for any amount of time, uh, when, um, when you're there for a birth or when you're there for a baptism, uh, and especially when you're there for a death, I mean, I now have the feeling that I'm preaching my friends' funerals. Uh, I'm not just up there. There's nothing worse than a pastor preaching a funeral and acting like they know who the deceased is and they have no idea. I mean, I've actually been to a funeral where the pastor kept pronouncing the, the person's name wrong. Um, and, uh, and that is, you know, for me, the, my opinion on that is that you ought to care enough at least to get the name right. But if you don't know them, don't pretend uh, to know them. But you begin to preach uh, the funerals uh, of, of your friends. And I've found it very difficult at times uh, to get through uh, those those funerals, and I feel like when um, when I've gone into hospital rooms, uh, that the response is more often than not Jesus' response to Mary, not Martha. And you know, remember, in in that part of John, uh, Martha comes to Jesus while he's walking into Bethany and says, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, Lazarus." And what does Jesus say? the wonderful I am the resurrection and the life passage. Well, then Mary says the very same thing to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And what's Jesus' response? Shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. Right? So he confronted the flow of Martha's heart, but he entered into the flow of Mary's heart. And that was because these people were not, well, first he's the Lord, so he would know them anyway. Uh, but he had a relationship with these people, and it was something much deeper and much more uh, significant. And so uh, a ministry of anybody, uh, whether they're ordained or not, should be a ministry marked with tears. 
because it means that you know the person. Uh, it means that you're with them. And quite frankly, especially when uh, you have those two big life moments of, of birth and death, um, in many ways the congregation is much more effective at ministering to the person who has just had the baby or the, per, or the family of the person who has died in a way that the pastors can't, right? And I think that's one of the beauties of our small group ministry is that's where so much of our pastoral care uh, gets done as, uh, as they come alongside and, uh, and minister to the families. So it's a ministry marked uh, with tears, uh, and it's a ministry that's also marked with tribulation and trial. Uh, You know, if people who come to me and say, well, I can't be a part of the church because it's full of hypocrites, I think, well, you should join because we need one more. Uh, And uh, because that's, because the bottom line is, is as Christians in the church, we can say, you're right. But the difference is, is that Christians can actually acknowledge their own hypocrisy. They can say, you're right. I end up, I have a double standard when it comes to things, uh, and I've, I've confessed that to the Lord, and by His grace, um, I pray that my eyes are open more and more to the plank in my own eye before I start pointing out the speck in others. And so it's a ministry that is marked by uh, tribulation, and often those trials are the result uh, of relationships. Uh, you know, aside from, you know, evangelism or even pastoral ministry, Uh, the number of times where we've had deep abiding friendships that have just fallen apart, either for a very good reason or for no reason at all, and how we mourn uh, those friendships, uh, the loss of them, or uh, a friend who has turned into uh, an enemy, uh, that how much that hurts us uh, so deeply, and for some reason we just can't uh, get beyond it, We, we can't Uh, get over it, Uh, and that too has driven us uh, to tears. But Paul said, look, I didn't shrink from you, and this is where he gets to the good part. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now later on, because these two go together, uh, Paul says... Um, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Uh, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. What does he mean by that? It means that he's leaving their presence with a clear conscience that he actually had run the race, that he was faithful. Of course, he didn't say all that he probably wanted to say. Of course, he didn't do all that he wanted to do. Uh, But it was enough. Uh, He was faithful. He didn't shrink from his responsibility. He didn't neglect not just to preach the gospel, but to say to people that he loved, I love you. I love you. And especially in moments like this, it gives you some perspective. Uh, You've heard me speak of my uh, paternal grandfather, who was a real character, and uh, was uh, the life of the party. And as my grandmother would say, he was uh, a real delight, uh, but not to be married to him. And, uh, and so uh, when he died, he was estranged from all of his family because of some really rotten decisions that he made that were in some ways intentionally hurtful to his family, or at least he didn't care. And uh, toward the end of his life, uh, when he was dying of cancer, my dad's sister decided that she would fly out to Scottsdale, Arizona, where he then lived, and, uh, and basically nurse him uh, until he died. And... Uh, 
And it was in that time that a reconciliation was effected. And his very last words uh, were to my aunt where she walked in the room and he said, Maureen, you are so beautiful. And he died. And of course, that's exactly what she needed to hear, uh, but that she had longed to hear her whole life uh, from her father. And so I guess if there's anything that we wouldn't wait that we wouldn't wait, that, that as Christians we actually don't need uh, death uh, as a perspective. Uh, we don't need crisis as a perspective, uh, that what God has given us, and that's very hard to get perspective. Uh, right now, one of our uh, children is going through the arduous uh, process of learning how to read, and I read a lot. Um, uh, Lauren asked me the other day, what, uh, she said, what book are you reading? And I said, well, I just finished War and Peace. And she said, that's so stupid, and then, um, and then walked away. Uh, and Lauren's a big reader, too, but our oldest child, Lily, is just a voracious reader. She's just eating everything up, and she's not very old, but she's you know, reading things like Anne of Green Gables, and, which I've had to read with her, which I still don't like, um, but never mind. But the, one of our other children is having a really hard time reading, and I'm sitting there getting frustrated, helping her along, and, uh, and she's getting upset, and I'm getting upset. And then I just stop and realize, wait a minute. Here's this beautiful child who is a gift of God, and I'm taking that for granted right now. Uh, that, to think that she's not going to have difficulty, and rather than badgering her, what I need to do is to come alongside her and encourage her. And what she needs right now is not me trying to help her with her phonics, uh, but is actually to, to love her in the way she needs her dad to love her. And... Uh, that perspective is, is a big one because then all of a sudden, especially in the life of the church, things begin to fade. Uh, those things that really get us wound up are not so significant uh, anymore. Uh, there are any number of things. Uh, someone asked this morning um, why the Advent wreath, and I would love to know this because I don't know the answer, why the Advent, at the, at the ad, well, Advent wreath at the Advent uh, has white candles instead of the traditional purple with, with the pink one for this Sunday. And I said, I, I don't know. Uh, I actually have never noticed that. Uh, but uh, if you want to change, uh, you need to understand that there's no way I'm ever going to override the altar guild. It's just <laughs> never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And, <clears throat> and so, uh, but it, it's sort of funny, the things that will get... Now, this person wasn't wound up in the least, uh, but they noticed it, and you could tell that they probably did want uh, purple candles. Uh, but I told them that, uh, do you know where liturgical colors come from? A clothing manufacturer in England. They're called Whipples. They're the big outfitters for clergy. Uh, they make shirts and all kinds of paraphernalia. And so uh, a couple years ago, the traditional colors throughout the year of, you know, white, uh, purple, green, red, uh, and for most of the year we wear green. Well, during Advent, we tend to wear purple. And all of a sudden, Whipple's figured out, you know, pretty much anyone who has bought purple has bought purple. So what if we introduced this shade of blue uh, for, for Advent? And sure enough, we were all suckers and we bought it, right? And so if you wonder why are the colors that way, because some tailor in England decided to exploit the market. That's why. And yet, and yet those are things that get people really uh, fired up, whether or not uh, they are doing the right things. Uh, Fitz Allison tells a story when he was teaching at Sewanee that at the very end there in their beautiful chapel, uh, All Saints, 
uh, Fitz was pronouncing the final blessing, and afterwards, this person made a beeline up to him who was just furious. And Fitz thought, all right, I'm going to get it in the neck for something that I said in the sermon. And actually what this person was complaining about was that when he pronounced the final blessing, he hadn't reached back to touch the table to sort of Jedi master everybody and transfer power, which of course is total rubbish and nonsense. Uh, But Fitz was taken back by the fact that for this person, this was really important. Uh, and I pray that, you know, some of those things that we tend to get wound up about in church uh, are the result of a lack of perspective that we need to be given over what's important and what's not uh, important. Because the bottom line is, is that the church is described as a family, which means you're going to have um, problems in your family. In the same way you can't pick your family now, you haven't really picked your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you have to kind of deal with it. And so in the same way, Paul's ministry there was not sunshine and lollipops uh, his whole time. In fact, it was with great difficulty. And he goes on to Jerusalem uh, knowing uh, that he may die. But he, gets, he has the perspective, and he shows us this in verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is even putting his own prerogatives uh, aside, understanding uh, that he really is nobody apart from the ministry uh, that he's been called to. Uh, When I get around other Episcopalians, uh, in fact, I was at a wedding last night, and as I've said before, it's amazing uh, how spiritual an open bar will make people. And I had, uh, I had my collar on and everyone coming up and talking about how they grew up in the Episcopal Church and how they've been lifelong Episcopalians. Of course, they haven't been to church in 10 years, but, but all those things. And, uh, and I realized, uh, you know, they say, oh, you're the dean, 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 dean. And it's sort of like Lauren said. So one, Lauren once asked somebody, what does it mean that Andrew is the very reverend? And she said, absolutely nothing. She's right. Uh, now, she was saying to get a dig in at me, but, uh, but, uh, and I appreciate it. But uh, she's right. It doesn't mean a thing uh, in the grand scheme of things. And so if we get caught up on uh, who we are, and this was one of the hardest lessons I had to learn, not just in ministry but in real life, because there's no worse fate on earth than flying commercially in the United States. Uh, I don't know if you've done that recently, but it's really, really hard. And, um, and I had a job that required me to fly around a lot before I came to the Advent. And, and so I'd built up so many miles that I, I'd never really flown coach for a number of years. But my mileage finally tanked, and uh, so it had been a couple years since I'd actually set foot on a plane. And our first commercial flight in years was with Lauren and the three children flying to the Cayman Islands on, on, a, on a coach trip. And... Um, that is a very special level of hell. Uh, and, uh, and I say that uh, because it, it's just, it's really unbearable. And, but the whole time I'm sitting there with all the chaos around me and the seats that make you eat like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and, 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 you, you, and all I'm doing is leaning out into the aisle and looking ahead and just thinking, that's where I ought to be. That is where I ought to be. Now, that's, that's nonsense, and that's foolishness, but our hearts cry out that we want people to treat us differently uh, than we would treat anybody else. We, we long for deference. Uh, do, I, I did another wedding where uh, at about uh, 
the, the night of the wedding happened, uh, and then the next morning at 6 a.m., the father of the groom called me and said, I need your help. The groom's sister had been jailed that night uh, after the reception. And I said, well, where is she? He said, well, she's in the city jail. And so I met him down there, and the police were relaying to us that everything was going really well until she began to scream, do you know who I am? Do you know who my daddy is? And that's when they cuffed her. Uh, because uh, it didn't really matter. It, in fact, just inflamed uh, the police. And so Paul, Paul has perspective on who he is. And frankly, that's nobody. Now that sounds very, uh, uh, doesn't sound very cheery. Uh, but Paul wouldn't stop there. He would say, but for Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't have any identity apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You ask me who I am, and I can only point to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not a brawler. Uh, it doesn't mean he's not a son. Uh, it doesn't mean that he's not a uh, trained rabbi uh, in the school of Gamaliel uh, there in, um, in uh, Israel. Uh, it doesn't mean that he's uh, not had a, uh, a training experience with the church in Antioch. It doesn't mean that he hasn't been someone who's had a lot of success in his ministry, coupled with failure. Uh, but ultimately, as Paul says elsewhere, all of that is rubbish compared to the all-surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. Full stop. That's who you are, that's who I am, and that's who Paul is. And so, apart from him, Paul says... It really doesn't matter. But you also hear concern because Paul knows that once he leaves, that there are going to be those who come in who are, are, are going to be like wolves uh, and not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Remember the message, remember what it's rooted in, relationship. And that's how you fend off the false teachers. But again, Paul, would, he commends his ministry, but I didn't know this until a couple years ago, and I actually asked John Harper to confirm it because he worked in the Department of the Treasury. Uh, and um, do you know how, how the Treasury Department trains uh, people to, to identify counterfeit yeah, that's right. They, hand, they actually really don't look at counterfeit money. They get to know the real thing so well that they can, they can see the fake a mile away. That, because they know the thing so well they can see a fake uh, a mile away. And in the same way, Paul is saying, know the Lord Jesus Christ. Know the gospel message so that when these false teachers come in, you can tell the difference. And you can drive them out. Uh, you can stand in the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Now, often that is a very thankless position and one that nobody really wants to have and yet is absolutely necessary. Otherwise, what? The flock won't be spared. That, that this person and this teaching uh, will pull people off uh, one uh, by uh, one. I don't know who said it, uh, but somebody said, I would rather face an army of sheep led by a lion than an army of lions led by a sheep. Uh, and that's always uh, stuck with me. Uh, one, because it's a biblical image, right? That we have the lion of Judah uh, leading us uh, and we're sheep. And so long as he's in control, we have nothing to fear. 
uh, when we can be full of ourselves and even in our own strength, uh, but if we're led by a sheep, uh, we're going to have uh, some problems. And so in the same way, uh, sometimes we are called uh, to take that uh, role as sheep in lion's clothing and step forth and to uh, drive out uh, those who speak of twisted things in order to draw disciples after them. And then he says, this is how you do it. We've been talking about it. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Uh, My relationship with you is not based on clothing, gold, or silver. I worked with my own hands. And uh, in, in all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed for them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. But he left well, didn't he? He left well. And that is something uh, that I think God gives us even now for those of you who can hear me. uh, That gift uh, to understand what's important Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our relationships, and to be able to impart uh, the fruits of both of those relationships uh, to those that we love. Questions, comments, concerns? Mrs. Mrs. Spade. I can't miss this opportunity. The inheritance of those who are sanctified. Mm -hmm. I'll give you the brief version. When Bill Spain was diagnosed with brain cancer, it left him with no speech, just gibberish. For two weeks with hospice, this was his situation. (coughs) He woke up on Saturday morning, and he opened his eyes, and he looked at me. And he said, Jesus just told me God is coming to get me at last. Mm. And he shut his eyes, and he didn't say another word. And God, that was he did come and get him. And I just thought that was just so sweet of God to allow that moment of clarity. And and not just for him, but for you. For me, uh, yeah. God bless you. Thank you, Lily. Okay, y'all. Kind of a heavy, heavy subject, uh, but uh, it is what it is in Acts 20. So... Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.